When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. September 8th will be the one-year anniversary of the death of Queen Elizabeth II and the accession of her son, King Charles III. Since then, I had the opportunity to travel to London for the coronation and see history in the making and the royal family in real life. But aside from the pomp and ceremony, the Not My King protesters, and the ubiquitous royal family drama, the monarchy and the world have pretty much marched on as usual, without the queen who reigned for 70 years. Which is exactly what she would have wanted. Let's take a look back at the remarkable life of Queen Elizabeth II. Queen Elizabeth II of the UK and Commonwealth realms was the longest reigning monarch in British history and lived near the center of many significant events in the last century. Her life has spanned a world war, the end of the British Empire, 14 British prime ministers, countless social, political, and technological changes, and royal family upheavals. Four out of five Britons were not alive before Elizabeth was queen. Let's take a look at her remarkable life. Elizabeth was born on April 21, 1926, at the London home of her maternal grandparents. Her father, Prince Albert, Duke of York, known as Bertie, was the second son of King George V, and her mother, Elizabeth Bowes Lyon, was the daughter of a minor Scottish aristocrat. After a difficult pregnancy, baby Elizabeth had to be delivered by emergency cesarean section, a procedure which was far less common than it is today. Bertie wrote to a cousin about his newborn daughter. She is too delicious and is such a great joy to us both. Elizabeth is progressing wonderfully well and the baby is flourishing. The baby princess was baptized at Buckingham Palace and named Elizabeth after her mother, Alexandra after King George V's mother who had died six months earlier, and Mary after her paternal grandmother, who was queen consort at the time. 
She lived a quiet, happy life with her parents, who preferred to raise her in a flat in London rather than at a royal palace. As a toddler, she had trouble pronouncing her own name, so called herself Lilibet, which remained a pet name within the family. She was especially adored by her grandfather, King George V, whom she affectionately called Grandpa England. At four, Lilibet was joined by a younger sister, Margaret. She also arrived via cesarean section, and after both difficult deliveries, the Duke and Duchess decided that their family was complete with their two cherished daughters. There wasn't much pressure on them to produce a male heir, as at the time, everyone assumed that Bertie's older brother, Prince Edward, would marry and someday pass the throne to his own sons. Though King George may have had an inkling of what was to come. He remarked, I pray to God that my eldest son will never marry and have children, and that nothing will come between Bertie and Lilibet and the throne. Elizabeth and Margaret were educated at home by their mother and governess. At the time, aristocratic girls were not sent to school. The Duchess's own education had ended when she was 13. But despite this limitation, she was a bright and curious woman who read voraciously. She tutored her daughters in history, language, literature, and music. Both girls were doted on by their parents, who presented them with a Pembroke Welsh corgi named Dookie, the first of many pet dogs Elizabeth would adore. Margaret inherited her mother's devotion-winning charm and spontaneity and became quite a mischief-maker, while Elizabeth took after her more reserved, shy, and formal royal side. Winston Churchill said of the two-year-old princess, she has an air of authority and reflectiveness astonishing in an infant. Her cousin described her as a jolly little girl, but fundamentally sensible and well-behaved. Elizabeth particularly resembled her paternal grandmother in both appearance and temperament. Queen Mary was always more devoted to her royal duties than her children, but she was a far better grandmother than mother. In January 1936, when Elizabeth was nine years old, her grandfather, King George V, died, and her uncle became King Edward VIII. From the start, the new monarch obstinately refused to take his role seriously. He often left secret government documents lying around his country house for party guests to peruse. Edward was obsessed with an American, Wallace Simpson, who, because she was divorced, would not be accepted as his wife and queen by the government, church, or the British people. Within a year of his ascension, Edward used Wallace as a romantic excuse to give up the job he had always dreaded. He abdicated the throne, left the country, and married Wallace. He never considered or even consulted his younger brother Bertie about dumping the crown on his head. When Bertie told his mother of the abdication, he broke down and sobbed like a child. He was a desperately shy man and suffered a severe stutter. He was worried that he was unequal to the task, but unlike his brother, he had a strong sense of morality and duty and took up the heavy mantle of monarchy, becoming King George VI. He was crowned in Westminster Abbey on May 12, 1937, the date which had been planned for his brother's coronation. Young Elizabeth thus became the heir presumptive. 
According to the succession laws of the time, if her parents did have a son, then he would overtake Elizabeth's place in the line to the throne. So, with that slim possibility, she was never officially heir apparent. For this same reason, she was never made Princess of Wales, the traditional title of the heir apparent. And she was never made Princess Royal because her aunt, Princess Mary, was holding that title. But within the family, it was now clear that 10-year-old Elizabeth would someday be queen. In 1939, the now royal family of four toured the Royal Naval College at Dartmouth. A dashing 18-year-old cadet, Prince Philip of Greece and Denmark, was assigned to escort 13-year-old Princess Elizabeth and her younger sister during the tour. He was their third cousin through Queen Victoria and second cousin through King Christian IX of Denmark. Elizabeth was smitten and she and Philip began exchanging letters as the young naval officer was shipped off to fight in World War II. Despite their hesitations, George VI and Elizabeth were an exceptional king and queen and became exceedingly popular. During the war, they toured the country extensively, visiting bombed neighborhoods and munitions factories to boost morale. Queen Elizabeth was so revered that Hitler called her the most dangerous woman in Europe. The couple remained in London even after Buckingham Palace was bombed and they narrowly escaped with their lives. After a Nazi plot to kidnap Princesses Elizabeth and Margaret was uncovered, the Prime Minister recommended that the girls be evacuated to Canada. But their mother refused, stating, The children won't go without me. I won't leave without the king. And the king will never leave. They did decide to send the girls to the safer location of Windsor Castle, 25 miles outside of London, and close enough for them to visit their daughters on weekends. Elizabeth and Margaret remained at Windsor for five years. The wartime castle was dark and depressing, as was most of the nation. But the princesses did their best to keep up morale. They staged Christmas pantomimes for the local children and raised money for the Queen's Wool Fund, which made warm winter garments for soldiers. At 14, Elizabeth made her first radio broadcast during BBC's Children's Hour. She addressed and encouraged other children to be brave during terrifying air raids and evacuations from their homes. At 19, Elizabeth became a driver and mechanic for the Women's Auxiliary Territorial Service, the women's branch of the British military. On May 8, 1945, the Nazis were defeated, and the bloodiest war in human history finally came to an end. Teenage Elizabeth and Margaret were granted permission by their parents to go out on the streets of London incognito and celebrate with the people. Elizabeth recalled later lines of unknown people linking arms and walking down Whitehall. All of us just swept along on the tide of happiness and relief. All this time, Elizabeth had been corresponding with Philip, who was now a lieutenant and a decorated war hero. Once back in the UK, he reconnected with Elizabeth, and their childhood friendship blossomed into a romance. Her parents were not enthusiastic about the match. Philip was a prince without a country. 
He was a descendant of the Greek royal family, who had been exiled when he was a baby. Though Philip had been raised primarily in the UK by his British grandmother, his four sisters had been raised in Germany, and two of his brothers-in-law were Nazis. In the summer of 1946, Philip asked the king for his daughter's hand in marriage. George agreed, but requested that the announcement be delayed until Elizabeth's 21st birthday the following April. In the meantime, Philip renounced his Greek and Danish royal titles, converted to Anglicanism, and officially took the surname Mountbatten from his British relatives. To distract their daughter, the king and queen brought her with them on a state visit to South Africa. There, they attempted to promote unity amidst growing tensions between black and white people. During the tour, Princess Elizabeth took the opportunity to give a speech swearing her loyalty to the service of her people. The tour was grueling, and the goal of unity was a failure. A year later, the Africana Nationalist Party took over the country and established apartheid. Around the world, the once vast British Empire was changing, with many former colonies declaring independence. King George accepted with grace the dissolution, relinquishing his various foreign titles of emperor and king, and taking up the new title of head of the Commonwealth with pride. Elizabeth and Philip were married in Westminster Abbey on the morning of November 20, 1947. As Britain was still enduring poverty and rationing after the war, the government advised a low-key wedding. Elizabeth bought the silk for her dress with war ration coupons. But the people were thrilled to have something to celebrate after the many years of hardship. The happy couple spent their honeymoon at Balmoral Castle in Scotland. They brought Elizabeth's corgi, Susan, with them. They then took up residence at Clarence House, the traditional London home of the heir to the throne, since King William IV. Six days before their first anniversary, Elizabeth gave birth to their first child, Charles. King George issued letters patent allowing Elizabeth's children to use the style and title of royal prince or princess. As female line descendants, they were not automatically entitled to this right. Philip was still a naval officer and was posted several times to the British colony of Malta. The couple left Charles with his grandparents and enjoyed some of the most carefree times of their marriage on the Mediterranean island. Elizabeth was free from the pressure of the royal family and able to live a simpler life as the wife of a naval officer, attending beach parties and dances. In 1950, they welcomed their second child, Anne. King George was diagnosed with lung cancer after years of smoking and stress. As his health began to decline, Elizabeth, as his heir, took up more royal duties. These many duties kept Elizabeth away from her children, and young Charles once didn't recognize his mother. She had a nursery train car outfitted so that Charles and Anne could travel with her, at least while she was in Britain. In 1952, it was decided that the king was too ill to undertake an extensive tour of the Commonwealth, so Elizabeth and Philip were sent in his place. George waved his daughter farewell at the airport, went to the Sandringham estate with his wife and daughter Margaret, and died a few days later.
Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. In Kenya, Elizabeth and Philip had just returned from a camping trip when word of the king's death reached them. Philip broke the news gently to his wife, who was heartbroken. As the heir automatically ascends the throne upon the death of the monarch, she had already been queen for several hours without knowing it. When asked what her regnal name would be, she replied, Elizabeth, of course. And so she became Elizabeth II, following the 16th century queen of the same name. Both were 25 when their reigns began. Many Scots were unhappy with the title of their new queen, as Scotland had not been united with England until the reign of James I and VI, after the death of Elizabeth I. So the new queen was actually the first Queen Elizabeth of Scotland. She returned immediately to the UK to attend her father's funeral and to take up her new role as sovereign. On the 2nd of June, 1953, Elizabeth walked into Westminster Abbey, decked in the centuries-old crown jewels and regalia, and took the solemn coronation oath. Hers was the first coronation to be televised and spurred thousands to buy their first TVs. Philip, now officially a prince consort, organized much of the ceremony. In the UK, the husbands of queens regnant, or queens in their own right, are barred from taking the title king. But Queen Victoria had taken her husband's last name of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha. Philip's uncle, Louis Mountbatten, made toast to the new Mountbatten dynasty. But Prime Minister Winston Churchill advised Elizabeth to keep the royal name Windsor. Philip privately complained that he was the only man in the country not allowed to give his name to his own children. 
They had a conventional 1950s marriage, and Philip was uncomfortable playing a subordinate role to his wife in public. In compensation, Elizabeth let Philip call the shots when it came to their children, and he was often harsh on Charles. He insisted that his son attend his own alma mater, Gordonston, a Spartan boarding school in northern Scotland. Charles was miserable and bullied there. Queen Elizabeth was soon inundated with the many royal duties demanding her attention. As a constitutional monarch, the government is formed in her name, but she is barred from expressing political opinion publicly. She is still very much involved in the background. She receives daily red boxes filled with reports on the goings-on of the nation, and she meets weekly with the Prime Minister, during which she may advise and warn when necessary. Twice in 1957 and 1963, Elizabeth was required to appoint a prime minister, as the Conservative Party had no formal mechanism for electing a leader of its own. Both times she was criticized for her choice, and the party has since amended their practices to keep the Queen above politics. Following the coronation, Elizabeth and Philip embarked on a seven-month tour of the Commonwealth. Elizabeth became the face of the Commonwealth around the world, and not just on stamps. With the jet age, she has been able to go to dozens of countries in person on state visits. She is the head of state of the 16 nations in the Commonwealth realms. The realms are part of the Commonwealth of Nations, a political affiliation of 53 nations, former British colonies who do not all recognize the Queen as head of state. The Queen was discouraged from visiting Ghana in 1961, as her host, President Kwame Nkrumah, was a target of assassination. Elizabeth dismissed fears for her own safety and went on the trip anyway, winning over Ghana and preventing Nkrumah from allying with the Soviet Union and giving them a foothold in Africa. The Queen continued to have a close but complex relationship with her sister, Margaret. She wished to marry Peter Townsend, a divorcee 16 years her senior. Elizabeth was head of the Church of England, which did not permit divorcees to remarry. So she continuously put off granting her sister permission to marry, until Margaret had no choice but to give Townsend up. Margaret later married a more acceptable match, photographer Anthony Armstrong Jones, whom the Queen created Earl of Snowden. The couple had a tumultuous relationship, and Elizabeth was often a surrogate mother and steadying force to her nephew David and niece Sarah. Elizabeth and Philip had their own rough patch in the late 1950s. In 1956, Philip went on a tour without his wife aboard the Royal Yacht Britannia, during which he opened the 1956 Summer Olympic Games in Australia. Rumors of infidelity followed the prince. But by 1960, a decade after the birth of Princess Anne, the couple had patched things up and added to their family with the birth of Prince Andrew. Prince Edward followed in 1964. In 1966, a mining disaster in the Welsh village of Aberfan cost the lives of 144 people, most of them children. Prince Philip visited the village the next day, but the Queen hesitated for a week. 
She feared that her visit would distract from recovery efforts, but her lack of response was considered callous and is now one of the biggest regrets of her reign. In 1969, the Queen's eldest child, Charles, was invested as Prince of Wales in a fanciful ceremony at Carnarvon Castle. The 1970s and 80s were difficult decades for the monarchy. For a thousand years, the institution had, for the most part, been treated with great respect. But as the nation experienced a devastating recession, more and more Britons were questioning the place of the archaic monarchy in the modern world. Punk band The Sex Pistols released the song God Save the Queen, a searing criticism of Her Majesty, in 1977 during her Silver Jubilee celebration. Despite being banned on BBC Radio, the song became a huge hit and reached number two on the UK singles chart. In 1981, while riding her horse during her birthday at Trooping of the Colors, Elizabeth was shot at six times at close range. She was shot at again in New Zealand a few months later. In 1982, the Queen woke up to find a strange man in her bedroom at Buckingham Palace. After a short chat with the man, she called for security. Throughout the 70s, Prince Charles had an affair with a vivacious young woman named Camilla, but it became clear that the royal family would not accept a marriage between them. Camilla wasn't from the right sort of family. Royals pressured her to marry her old boyfriend, Andrew Parker Bowles, but she and the prince continued an on-off relationship, even as Charles married the woman hand-picked for him, Diana Spencer. She was demure and beautiful, a fairy tale princess, but the public didn't see the unhappiness in her marriage until later. On her honeymoon, Charles was more interested in reading than in his new bride. He tried to stay away from Camilla at first, but they rekindled their affair. The queen had very little sympathy for her lonely daughter-in-law. As she had been born into royalty, she couldn't relate to how difficult it was for Diana to transition from a private life to constant royal duties and media scrutiny. Diana became incredibly popular with the people, both for her glamour and for her charity work. So as the unhappiness of their marriage was exposed, Charles and Camilla got the blame. That same year in 1992, two of the queen's other children split up with their partners. Princess Anne's husband, Mark Phillips, was discovered to have fathered a child by another woman, and Anne's love letters to another man were published. Prince Andrew's marriage to Sarah Ferguson also hit the rocks. Sarah was unhappy at being left alone for months at a time while Andrew served as a naval pilot. Again, the queen couldn't sympathize, as her time as a naval wife had been the happiest of her life. Sarah was photographed sunbathing topless while her financial manager sucked her toes, and the marriage ended soon after. The queen called 1992 her Annus Horribilis, or Horrible Year, because on top of all the drama with her children, her favorite home and namesake, Windsor Castle, caught fire and was partially destroyed. When it was announced that taxpayers would foot the repair bills, the public was outraged. The queen was already exempt from paying tax on her massive fortune, on top of receiving millions of pounds a year from the government. 
the queen finally conceded that she would pay income tax and pay allowances to minor royals from her own pocket. The amount of taxpayer funds the British royals receive, how much private wealth they actually have, and what political influence they may have used to protect it remain controversial. In 1997, Diana was killed in a car crash in Paris while being chased by paparazzi. At the time, Elizabeth was on holiday at Balmoral Castle with her grandsons, William and Harry. The outpouring of grief around the world was enormous, but was met with silence from the Queen, who remained hidden for over a week. She was more concerned with supporting her grandsons, who had just lost their mother, but her lack of public response was seen as cold-hearted and out of touch. In 2002, Elizabeth celebrated her golden jubilee, marking 50 years on the throne. Later that year, she lost both her mother at 101 and her sister Margaret at 71. In 2005, Charles was finally able to marry the woman he had loved all along, Camilla. Charles's eldest son, Prince William, married university friend and commoner Catherine Middleton. Their glamorous wedding and popularity have gone a long way to win back the hearts of the public. Just before the birth of their first child, a new Succession to the Crown Act was passed, changing from male preference primogeniture to absolute primogeniture, which gives daughters equal importance to sons in the line of succession. Prince Andrew came under fire for his friendship with sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein and was accused of having sex with an underage girl. He has since been asked to step out of the public eye and has given up all of his charity patronages. Charles's second son, Prince Harry, announced that he and his wife, American actress Meghan Markle, would be stepping down as senior members of the royal family. Their explosive interview with Oprah Winfrey carefully praised the Queen, but accusations of racism and ignoring Meghan's distressed mental health were levied against unnamed members of the royal family. On April 9, 2021, Prince Philip, the Queen's husband and companion of 73 years, died just two months shy of his 100th birthday. He was laid to rest at Windsor Castle. Despite the many scandals among the British royal family, the 96-year-old queen remained popular. Though she had a reputation for formality and a stiff upper lip, she was renowned for her personal touch and her good sense of humor. She was also noted for her brightly colored outfits and matching hats. This was a fashion she adopted from her mother, who felt that she should be easy to spot in a crowd. In 2022, Elizabeth celebrated her 70-year Platinum Jubilee. Queen Elizabeth died peacefully at her Balmoral estate in Scotland on the afternoon of September 8, 2022. She was 96 years old. Because of her deterioration of health, her family had been called to her bedside, and she was surrounded by them when she died. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. 
Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. You can also follow History Tea Time on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.